Set a spark to your integrated business and marketing strategies with America's top entrepreneurs and business leaders here at Integrate and Ignite with your host, Lori Jones. Welcome to the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Strategic positioning refers to how powerful the brand is in the customer's minds, what the company's message is, and how the organization sees itself in the market. Taking these insights and strategies and turning them into messaging that resonates and becomes a magnet for customer acquisition is equally important. Often the two are not aligned. Today, we begin a two-part series with Sandy Gerber on creating alignment between positioning and messaging. Sandy is a multiple award-winning author, communications and marketing strategist, and TEDx speaker. As CEO of Next Marketing Agency, she set a new standard for innovative communications, growing the company from her bedroom into one of the top 100 fastest growing companies in British Columbia. She is also the best-selling author of the award-winning book, Emotional Magnetism, How to Communicate to Ignite Connection in Your Relationships. Welcome to the show, Sandy. Oh, thank you so much, Lori, for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I tell you, you and I have something in common. Are you going to guess what it is? What is it? You and I are both top 100 female-owned businesses. Yes, we both run. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Exciting stuff, huh? We hit 28 this year. Oh, congratulations. That's amazing. I love it. Yeah, it's so much fun. So tell us a little bit more about your personal journey. I mean, you have got such great marketing strategy chops which is one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on the show today. Tell us how you really burrowed down and found your uniqueness and really what led you to writing the book, which we, of course, are applying to business and marketing, uh, but there's also a personal story there too. So I've been in marketing for about 25 years now. And, you know, I like to say that marketing's really been in my blood, um, even as a young kid. I mean, I was the kid, Lori, that other kids used to come to to ask, what do I say to get my parents to say yes? (laughs) (laughs) Always selling, right? Yeah, that's right. Even at the lemonade stand, right? Yeah. um, You know, I just, marketing's been a passion for mine and I've had fortunate enough to be in public and private and nonprofit and ad agencies and so forth. So, you know, I took the summer to um, promote my recent book. And just recently, I joined Harborfront Wealth Management, which is a large national investment institution, and I'm their chief marketing officer. Uh, we're so excited for you. Congratulations on that. And, you. you know, there's so many unique, you know, discussions out there today among, you know, the C-suite, among, you know, people that are just getting into marketing about where do we start? And mm-hmm. one of the key points, I believe, of course, is with strategy. And one of the key elements of that strategy is understanding the market position. And of mm-hmm. course, there are a multitude of strategic levers that you can pull to determine what that strategy should be. Um, but let's really just hone in on positioning today and talk more about that and its importance why do you believe that people are not connecting the dots between positioning then of course the messaging that ultimately comes you know it's a byproduct of it mm-hmm. i i think typically positioning and messaging are two important but separate exercises or bodies of work i mean some marketers think of positioning as internal statements and messaging as external 
And positioning to me articulates your differentiation, your purpose, your, your value to your purchasers. Or messaging is structured statements that emphasize your positioning. And most of the time, they become the responsibility of content strategists, or we send it down the line to a team of people who amplify the product and service benefits. So in my experience, there's a disconnection there. And I think what we need to do is be more certain around bringing messaging and positioning together because successful brands create these two in tandem with a distinct point of view. They sure do. And what I see in our world, and we work with a ton of entrepreneurial companies, um, some enterprise as well, but and they may have started out as entrepreneurial and now they're more entrepreneurial, but a ton of entrepreneurial companies um, that start with messaging because they don't know any better and they're afraid of the strategy. And mm-hmm. I believe I mean, that's the easy answer, right? And it's the yeah. answer that ultimately is going to flop. Um, because you're starting at step three when you should be starting at step one. Why are people afraid of positioning? I think that they're scared to fail, right? Yeah. And I think that most positioning fails for a couple of reasons, right? You First, the positioning is either not distinct enough from competitors, right? Like to succeed and ultimately lead in your industry with your positioning. It's not about your product or service being better. It's about being different. I mean, right. we have to be different and different works because it's intriguing and believable, right? And customers understand different, right? We, we, it makes the choice easier for them. So that's one reason. I think the other reason is that positioning fails because it doesn't emotionally connect to the target audiences, right? So the goal of every brand should be to create an emotional connection with their customers. And this sounds super basic, but I think all too often the, uh, you know, the messaging ultimately talks about what we do and how we do it. It doesn't get to why someone should care. So it's Mm -hmm. all about me, 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 not about the emotional need state that the customer has. That's right. And, you know, like my, my approach to positioning has always been twofold, right? I combine category creation with a strong point of view and emotionally magnetic messaging. And so let me break that down. So like category creation, one of my favorite books, I don't know if you've read it, but everybody, every marketer out there should read it. It's called Play Bigger. And okay. this is a book, it's, it's a book that should be on every marketer's reading list. It's by four marketing you know, pioneers, Alan Ramadan, Dave Peterson, Christopher Lockhead, and Kevin Manny. And it's incredible at outlining the strategy for category creation. Because when you think about back to your earlier question about positioning, it we have things are moving so quickly that we have to, and, and the market is just so noisy in every industry that we have to stand apart. And so it's it's beyond just being differentiated. You have to create an, an entirely new category for your company. So right. leading brands are positioning their companies to disrupt or create a brand new category. And this category for your products or services is really emphasized with a, a point of view that states the problem you're uniquely solving, right? That, that either it's not, we all have heard that as marketers. We know that it's all the problem for the consumers and the purchasers. But what I'm saying here is that you're solving a problem uniquely that people didn't think was possible or they didn't even know was available. So that's how the the category comes to life. And when I love you, that. Yeah, it's so exciting. I just I love doing category creation work. And it's really new if you think about it. 
you know, I oh, stumbled. Sorry. I, go ahead. I, I, no, I agree. And, and I think, you know, there's so many ways to take a look at positioning, uh, you know, from a pure differentiation standpoint. And one of the levers that we pull quite often at Avocet is truly understanding what your point of parity is, what your point of differentiation is. And what we find is that brands are hanging their hats on points of parity, the table stakes um, that it takes to even be a consideration. And there are some situations where a point of parity such as customer service could be a differentiation if in fact, all of the competitors have an extremely weak customer service you know, rating and in fact, you can differentiate them through something far more experiential, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's very difficult to be able to push out to market and really help people understand what it is that they're buying. So, you know, lots of different ways to approach it. And uh, to your point, when you're developing a category or at least a perceived category, mm-hmm. um, the only thing to the only way to truly approach that is with extreme uniqueness, which gets right pushed aside. Yeah, that's right. And then the other part of successful positioning, I believe, is ensuring that your point of view connects to the four core emotional needs. And that's really what I refer to as emotional magnets. And this is what's really new, right? So emotional needs are really the undercurrent of our lives. And we know with the pandemic and the difficulties we're having with global crises and all the issues that we have on our plate right now, to get our message across to people so that it's heard and understood and received, it's it's even more challenging. It is. And, and those four emotional needs are safety, achievement, value, and experience. And we're going to go ahead and break those down for you right now. Um, mm-hmm. and before we get there, though, let's talk a little bit about the fact that we, this is, I, I think all, you know, human to human marketing is so important, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's not just B2B. It's not just B2C. It's just, you know, it, whatever B2B you want. It's it's not just that. It's making sure that the emotional element of what you are trying to achieve with the end in mind, your customer gets it immediately. And mm-hmm. so tee up for us very quickly how ultimately you came up with these four main emotional needs. Because there are only four. And if you're going to ask, you know, Joe Schmo out on the street, um, you know, how many emotional needs do you think there are, you know, blah, 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 blah. He'd probably say, oh my gosh, you know, dozens. <laughs> Tell us how you got to this point. So in my process, I found that studies showed that brands that appeal to consumers' emotions were more successful than brands that just, you know, purely uh, emphasize the brand's qualities and attributes. So, um, and also I found that studies like even Harvard, Harvard Business Review, they claimed that a company that connects with customers' emotions can maximize their competitive advantage and their growth. So this all was motivation for me to really dive deeper. And right. one of the things I did was to grow my business. I started looking at old sales techniques. I mean, because I really believe good information doesn't, uh, doesn't go away. It just gets repurposed. So one um, month I spent really diving into older techniques of sales techniques. And one that I came across was the emotional appeal theory by Roy Garn. And this just set my brain on fire. Neat. <laughs> it's, it, it really, he dove into, he did, you know, thousands and thousands of people, uh, tons and tons of research to identify, you know, what was actually motivating people. He called them emotional appeals. And so this tool, this book that I read, 
by him out of print. Now I was founded in like a used secondhand bookstore in New York, (laughs) um, my research process. And I found that it really set me on this path. And like you said, there, there, it depends who you ask and all marketers will have a different response for this, but you know, Harvard business says that there's like 300 different emotional motivators. And I found it was overwhelming. There's archetypes, there's this, there's that. And I really just wanted to simplify it as much as possible. And so I started working through the process. 10 years later, I have four emotional magnets. And in my book, I go through it in much detail, but I'm happy to break them down for you quickly here. That's great. Let's go ahead and start. And actually, before we tee this up, I think one of the questions our audience is going to have is, as they're listening to detail about these four magnets, should they consider one or a multitude of them as they're building out their positioning strategy? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, we, you're going to be, you're going to find that when people read the book, they find that names of people they know and their relatives, their family, their friends, their colleagues pop into their head like popcorn when they're going through these magnets, because you finally understand why people act the way they do in their own life. So when you're thinking about this for your customers, you need to start looking at it first from a positioning standpoint on, okay, what emotional need does our company, does our solution solve? right? And prioritize those in your position. As we're going through this, and I explain the four, put your thinking towards, okay, I have a client in mind. I have a a solution I need to create for them for their positioning. Let's see which one of their target audiences should be at the highest point of the list for this emotional magnet. Okay, perfect. Okay, so let's go ahead and begin with safety. Okay, well, and and one thing to keep in mind, too, that makes this really easy to remember. So to understand the four emotional magnets, our four core emotional needs, think of a four lane highway. This is the way I like to say it, because it's easy to to see it and see the word save, S-A-V-E, across the highway. So one lane is for safety, one is for achievement, one's for value, and one's for experience. And every day, each of us swerve between these lanes but most of us tend to stay in one or two lanes. So (laughs) your emotional magnet changes over time with what's happening in your life, how you're raised and obstacles that you achieve. Yeah, let's go into it. So yeah, and and I love the fact that example, you've got experience in the far left lane, which is the fast lane. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So essentially, Safety is when if you if you have safety as an emotional magnet or your customers are motivated by safety, they're motivated by sounds like what it is. They're motivated by security. They need to be in control. Health is a primary motivator for them, their family, their self-preservation and the ease of doing things. Right. So they're they're very focused on specialty skills. So that all fits within a bucket of safety. And there's many more but elements to it. But that is it in a nutshell. Achievement is, you know, if you're motivated by achievement, you're really motivated by recognition, by goal setting, by performance, you know, achieving that goal. Competition is something you thrive on and providing your opinion and your pride is very important to you. So, and when you think about value, value, emotional magnet, it's really about worth. It's about growth. It's about your return on your investment in time. People who are motivated by value hate wasting their time and their their efforts. I mean, most of us do, but these people especially. And really, they're focused on preventing waste and making Mm -hmm. significance or legacy happen from their life. And then when you think about experience, the experience emotional magnet, these are people who are motivated by curiosity, uh, progress desire, 
uh, very, very creative. They like change and they want to make an overall impact in their life. Now, do you see different types of brands, um, you know, technology versus soft good versus retail versus a you know, food product kind of ending up in the same category, you know, with, with some of the different clients you've worked on? Yeah. I mean, what happens is we typically end up going through, okay, so this, it, we add this into the buyer persona, uh, buyer journey and persona work. And we add another whole layer that's a level for emotional magnets, right? That helps with the positioning and the messaging to be congruent. So we'll find that, you know, you're not all hundred percent one thing, right? We all made up of different components, but so you, you have, uh, what you do when you go through this exercise is identify, okay, my audience is primarily motivated by experience or primarily motivated by experience and also is has a high influence for value. So you start right. prioritizing that. And that's based on, you know, you're looking at your data. All of us are looking, all of us marketers are looking at our data and trying to make sense of this. But it's also going back to old school, you know, asking your customers what's important to them. What do they emotionally need to purchase this? Right. So you can pick this up by the word clues. Like in my book, I also include word clues and cues that there are actual words that you can sense what they're saying. They're telling you uh, what they're motivated by. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so let's just set a scenario here where we've got a marketing team, product developments at the table, a couple salespeople, and the the marketing lead, the CMO, via Piacoms, whoever it might be, is going to deploy this initiative, how would you break down the steps of developing the emotional needs in that setting? Yeah. So, I mean, well, what happens is when we're going through that process, you are, you're, I usually am working through this process at the persona um, stage, right? So I'm looking at, okay, what are the purchasing decisions and what, you know, if you think about it, 95 percent of purchasing decisions are driven by our subconscious urges, which is right. the biggest is emotion, right? So what we need to do with our team is sit down, we've identified our priority and our hierarchy of our of our uh, target audiences. And then looking at, you know, it's like that wants and needs exercise. Here's what we say we want. And then there's what we truly need. I want to buy a car, but I really need a safe, reliable automobile, right? So we, we need, what I actually do is I create this chart. On the left is everything that we say that the customer wants. And on the right is everything that's emotionally motivating them to purchase. So, and then what we do is we shift all of our positioning to the right. I love that. I mean, that's such great advice right there. And it's so simple, you know, and it really helps you block and tackle. It is football season. So I'll say that. It really yeah. helps you block block and tackle ultimately, you know, where you can make that move. Uh, we'll just stay with it for a little while. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the the outcome of this is certainly um, a better understanding of the customer's needs, which are very, very important. What do you feel is the biggest challenge someone might experience in going through this process? Well, I think the biggest challenges that I found in the process is, is being courageous with it. Mm. Right. And, and being consistent. Right. So, you know, to create a strong market, uh, market position, it's really hard work, right. To, yeah, it to is. create a strong market position is really hard work. And so to lead in the market, you need to be essentially like uh, in play bigger, they refer to it as a category King. And that takes extraordinary courage and it takes discipline. And I found that, you know, that's, 
we all want to do this, but it's a matter of doing it, right? So right. I think you're you're changing behaviors. You're teaching a new way to do things and be. And the entire company has to be ignited by this positioning as well. So I think one of the challenges is maintaining that leadership momentum and being consistent in your messaging and your POV right from the start. So, you know, one of the things that I did to help um, make sure that that worked in past companies is implement, and I know lots of companies do this, but implement a training program specifically for the team. So they're living and breathing the positioning. They understand it's not just a matter of slapping your mission up on the wall or telling them what, what they're trying to achieve with their 10-year vision. It's really igniting them and understanding this is what we're going to do to change the world, or this is what we're going to do to, to help people, right? So it's, it's, uh, it, I think that's the biggest challenge for people. It's, it, I think we all know we want to do this. We just don't know, either know how to do it or we're not consistent. Yeah. There's some great brands out there that are doing it very well, though. Uh, do you have an example of one? Yeah, so there's some great examples. As I mentioned in the Play Bigger book, there's a, some awesome examples in there, like Uber, Microsoft, even Corn and Glass, right? Like you'd never really? think Yeah, I love that story, especially. So I won't ruin it for you. You got to check that one out. But the one example um, that's easy that comes to mind for me is, is Starbucks. And I, I think, you know, everyone can relate to this, right? So they created a new category by appealing to people's emotional needs. And so in the, in the 70s, most Americans were not happy with the coffee that the coffee bar experience, right? Like they, the coffee beans were sold in a can and they had poor quality. And when Starbucks began in Seattle, they opened up their first store and their whole purpose was to sell authentic coffee beans to a really tiny niche of gourmet coffee lovers in a unique experience that mirrored what Howard saw in Italy with espresso bars. And, you know, their positioning has never wavered from that. It's about authentic coffee, great experiences, and quicker delivery. Their their messaging is magnetic because it appeals actually to all four emotional appeals, different degrees, but all four, and mostly the experience emotional magnet. I so love it. Like Howard he put strategic focus, like he was specifically focused on bringing that Italian espresso bar experience to America, right? Mm -hmm. And making this place a separate home, like a new, a place for people to gather, have relationships. And he even went to the extent of, you know, making sure that there were rules in place that for the coffee aroma to smell at all times in the, in the environment, he trained baristas on what to say and how to have and form great relationships and even the high quality quick speed service. So he's never wavered. That company has never wavered from their primary emotional magnet of experience. So, you know, Starbucks is such a shining example of, you know, how they really took the time to ultimately work on positioning to begin with. And, and you um, have some insights on, on a pre and post positioning program that really ignited customer account. Um, if you'd share that with us now. Oh, sure. Happy to. Yeah. A few years ago, I was the chief marketing officer of an ag tech company. It was a startup called Cubic Farms. And it was brought on board to create their brand platform and really, you know, differentiate their indoor growing technology. And this was um, like you have to have to uh, remember, this was a time where the vertical farming industry was growing at such an incredible rate. And we needed to break through that noise to be positioned as a leader. 
Hmm. So using play bigger and emotional magnetism, my team and I spent months working on this positioning strategy and messaging. And what we did is we identified this unique problem, a couple of problems that we solved. One was we solved long chain food dependence. Now that sounds funny now because the pandemic has really exasperated that, but yeah, um, long chain food dependence, what at the time, not many people were talking about that. And then we also solved the problem that the vertical farming industry's excessive energy use, you know, these, you know, vertical farming, they're like rows, stacks and stacks of lights. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So they were great and they were bringing, bringing um, food growth inside, but they were using all this energy. So we created a new category called local chain ag tech. And this was to really differentiate that our technology, you know, crop motion technology, it was called moved in, in a container and minimized the amount of space. And it helped farmers to localize food and feed production. So what happened was I personally, I mean, one of the highlights really was that I personally trained over 200 team members on the positioning and emotionally magnetic messaging. Wow. It was, it was amazing. One-on-one with people training them. And that's how important this is. Like when I go back to the previous question about, you know, it's hard work, (laughs) you have to have courage and be consistent. That's what I'm talking about. Every week I had a meeting with new employees and I took them through this training. And what we did then was we had this massive swell and ignited the entire uh, organization to launch this brand platform at what we called a lightning strike event. There were 1,600 people in attendance. And what happened was we announced our category and emotionally connected to people with our messaging. We had a farmer on the screen that was talking about almost in tears about how this had literally saved his family farm. So, you know, what happened from that is you you mirrored the category creation with the emotionally magnetic communication. And we had significant growth of customers, global investors, and we almost tripled the market cap. Ah, so that's this, amazing. Yeah, it was. It was totally amazing. A huge highlight of my career. It was so rewarding because also, you know, thinking about my own children, like this is how we're going to feed ourselves in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I definitely recommend checking them out. Their technology is definitely the clear winner. I'm a little biased, but right. I'm still a shareholder. But, you know, it uses two times less energy. And with climate change, we really must grow what we eat where we live. Yeah. I tell you, I think one of the coolest things is working on brands that you love and adore and you would adopt uh, in your own personal life. And that is such a great example of um, how you were really able to, you know, provide the strategic insights and the positioning and the messaging to bring it to life. I mean, the outcomes are incredible, but but to have, you know, to be very personally involved on it, you know, it just says so much. So that that is like the added bonus there. There's no doubt about it. Okay, yeah. you have all the details you need to really, really sit back and think through positioning with so many of the insights that Sandy has shared today. Uh, we're going to sign off, but remember the next episode is all about magnetic messaging, really bringing everything to life. Sandy, thank you so much for your appearance on the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Thank you, Lori. This episode is complete, but the inspiration has just begun. Head over to avocetcommunications.com for show notes and more aha moments. Tune in regularly to ignite your integrated business and marketing strategies with Lori Jones and the Integrate and Ignite podcast.